Welcome to the Happiness Hunter podcast. I'm your host, Fiona Redding. This show will help you navigate life and transform your approach to business with inspiring and practical strategies, tools, and insights to teach you how to shift your mindset and achieve life integration to show up fully in every area of your life today. Welcome back to this episode of the podcast. Today, I am absolutely delighted to be joined by Dr. John Demartini. Dr. John Demartini is a human behavioral specialist and founder of the Demartini Institute, which is a private research and education institute dedicated to activating leadership and human potential. He's an international author and business consultant working with CEOs of Fortune 500 companies, celebrities, and sports personalities. Globally, he's worked with individuals and groups across all markets, including entrepreneurs, financiers, psychologists, teachers, and young adults, assisting and guiding them to greater levels of achievement, fulfillment, and empowerment in all areas of their lives. So welcome to the show, Dr. John Demartini. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I, I cannot tell you how thrilled I am to have you on the show today, and we're going to explore that a little bit as we move through the interview today. Um, I'm just so excited about our conversation, and we are going to be covering a lot of ground. So for our listeners, buckle up. So I have got so many questions I would like to talk to you about, so many things, so many angles we could go go through on this interview, and I've really actually had to restrain myself. Um, so where I really wanted to start um, was just to kind of let you know where I first came across your work. So my girlfriend, Sharma Bola, sent me a copy of your book, The Values Factor, which I've got here, um, several years ago. So The Values Factor, and this was where I first came across your work. And this book has moved with me through several house moves. So I've moved, I've had quite a quite the journey over the last few years. And this book has been one of those books that stayed in my bookshelf and has survived the culls and the decluttering. Um, so it is, you know, an inc- incredibly valuable piece of work, I think. Um, and, and I think this is really integral to everything that you do is that, you know, our values are the foundation of everything. And if we're not clear on our values, then we can't really get clear on anything in any meaningful way. So... Today, I really want to talk through more about the um, Seven Secret Treasures, which is your new book, which has been released in October. But I think we need to just pay homage in a way to the values factor, if you wouldn't mind. So can you just share with us the four values that you live your life by and how you determined those just at a really high level? Okay, well, first of all, uh, every human being has a set of priorities, a set of values that their life demonstrates to live by. And it may or may not be the ones that they think or fantasize it is. It's what their life actually demonstrates. So the very first important thing for people to really get is that your life demonstrates your values, even though people fantasize about all kinds of things, about who they are and what they want to do and this kind of thing. So my life demonstrates for 50 years teaching researching and learning, writing, and traveling the world. That's my four. I've delegated everything else away. So that's all I am responsible for doing is teach, research, write, travel. No, we are going to be talking a little bit about that idea of delegation because that is actually very inspiring to a person like me, the way you've managed to do that in your life. So what's a hierarchy of values? Well, Every human being, regardless of age or gender spectrum or culture, lives by a set of priorities, a hierarchy of values, things that are most to least important in their life. So, and you make decisions, you perceive, you act, you decide according to these. So my highest value is teaching. I spend most of my day doing that. Mm. Uh, I have a very low value on cooking and driving i haven't driven a car in 32 years right last time i drove a car you rolled up the window and i haven't cooked since i was 24 and i'm 68 now yeah so that's 44 years since i've done any cooking i learned a long time ago anytime you're doing things that are lower on your values you devalue yourself Mm. and anytime you live on things that are higher in your priority list your values you value yourself so is the world So if you're not prioritizing and and filling your day with high priority actions, your day keeps filling up with low priority distractions that devalue you 
to frustrate you enough as a feedback to get you back to what is priority. And whatever's top in the values, your ontological identity revolves around, your teleological purpose revolves around, and your epistemological pursuit of knowledge revolves around it. So you're an expert, you're purposeful, and your identity revolves around whatever's highest on the value, the very top value. So we are living our values, whether we're aware of our values or not. Yes. Many times people will meet other people and envy them and try to imitate them and put them on a pedestal and minimize themselves and then take their values into their life and try to live by their values. And they don't know who they really are. And they think I should be like this. I ought to be more like this. I need to be more like this. And then they think, well, I'm not congruent. Why am I keep sabotaging? Why am I not staying focused? Because they're trying to be something other than what their life demonstrates. And they automatically default back to what is valuable, but they're not honoring that. And they think there's something wrong with them because they're not honoring what is actually valuable. They're holding on to a fantasy of what they think should be valuable. And that undermines their potential. And it makes them go and do lower value things. It devalues them, self-depreciates and makes them feel scattered and disempowered. And then they make an offload decisions to other people and become a follower instead of a leader that they're destined to be if they're living by their highest values. Yes. There's so much in that. So, you know, we need to be walking the talk and we need to be staying in our own lane and all of those things. But how can we do those things if we don't know? Well, that's the thing. That's why on my website, uh, I just put a complimentary value determination process on there. It's private, takes about 30 minutes of their time if they're honest, and they go in and answer 13 questions to look at what their life demonstrates is important. Mm. Let me give an example. Um, I was speaking in South Africa, 2013, I believe, and um, about 5,000 people in an audience. And I asked, how many of you would love to be financially independent? Every hand went up. Some people put two hands. Some people put their leg in. (laughs) And I said, great. And I smiled. And I said, fantastic. Then I asked the question, how many of you are financially independent? Will your passive income exceed your active income? All the hands went down except for seven hands. Yeah. And these are entrepreneurs that run businesses. It's not just the average person. This is entrepreneurs you would expect a much higher percentage but actually less than one percent of the world's population obtain it so then i asked okay so isn't it interesting that 99.9999999 percent or 100 percent of the room had their hand up and yet less than one percent less than one percent actually are obtaining it Mm. don't you think that's odd that everybody's got their hand up but nobody's obtaining it would you like to know why i said And I said, I'm going to show you something. I said, everybody get a piece of paper out and a pen. And I want you, I'm going to to send you in your imagination, 10 million US dollars right now. It's yours. It's a big block of cash money. It's now sitting in front of you. It's yours. And now you have one minute to decide what you're going to do with it. So I want you to write on a piece of paper what you're going to do with that $10 million. I'm going to give you 60 seconds to write the 10 things you're going to do with that money. And you got 60 seconds. If you only get eight, I'm done. You're only going to get to do eight things. So I want you to write as fast as you can, the 10 things you're going to do with that $10 million on your mark, get set, go. And then they quickly rattle off, boom, 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 with that money. And then I said, now turn it to the person on your left, the individual on your left. And then I want that individual to calculate what percentage of that $10 million is now usable as an asset and how much was spent on consumables that depreciated in value. And between 20 and 80% of the money that they were given, $10 million, that's 200, that's 2 million to 8 million was gone in 60 seconds on consumables that went down in value. And I explained to him, if that's what you would do with your money, then you will not ever have money work for you because you're buying things that are going down in value and it's disappearing. 
and you're giving it to people that have a higher value on it because money circulates to the economy from those who value at least to those who value at most. I said, but is there anybody here that actually took the money and bought purely assets? And there's only about 11 people in the room. I said, those are the people that will become wealthy because they took that money and they, and I said, please get this. If you have earned say a million dollars in your life or $10 million in life or a hundred million dollars in life, what do you have to show for it? Calculate the percentage of what it is. And if it's 10%, 9%, 8%, 5%, 1%, whatever it is, of all the money you've ever earned in your life, what you actually have to show for it today as an mm -hmm. asset. Take that percentage. And if it's 2%, multiply 10 million times 50 million because that's what you'd have to make in order to have that $10 million. So if you blow that 10 million right now, you're going to have to make 50 million at the rate of way you're managing money right now to get that back. Yeah. So you sure you want to buy that or do you want to put that into assets and let it grow and let it pay passive income and be financially independent? And most people grasped it when I finally put it in that context. Yeah. I said, majority of you don't want financial independence. The majority want to have the lifestyles of the rich and famous and live beyond your means and buy consumables that depreciate in value with immediate gratification. Mm. So as long as you have that in your value system, you're not going to end up with financial independence. I've got a question around that. Thank you for that. I, I, I think this is, it's such an interesting conversation because the idea of being able to practice say discernment with your money and having financial independence are not the same thing in a way, you know, um, but what about the investment in, in a person's self as an asset or like in their business as an asset? What are your thoughts it around that? Is, well, you have seven types of wealth. Uh -huh. You have spiritual awareness wealth. You have intellectual property wealth. You have business investment wealth. You have financial wealth, family wealth. If I said, I'm going to take your children, I'm going to give you a million dollars each. If your children are worth more than that to you, you would say, no, I'm, I'm going to keep my children. Thank my you. My children are priceless. Yes. Well, if I gave you a billion per child, you might think, <laughs> go, 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 go disappear or something. I'm joking. But the point is that Whatever you value is where your wealth is. Uh -huh. If you don't value financial wealth, it's going to stay in those other forms of wealth, mm. social wealth, physical health wealth. I know a woman that is absolutely stunning and billionaires are offering her unbelievable amounts of money to go out and date some things. I mean, they'll, they'll, they'll buy her, they'll give her a million dollars cash. You want to date. That's how stunning she is. Billionaires. So and it's not for sex. It's just for going on a date. They're, 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 they're really fighting for that. Mm. So she has such a physical wealth and she could be turning it into financial wealth, but she's not. Yeah. You have yeah. other people that have intellectual property wealth. I have that. I've turned some of that into financial wealth because I have financial wealth also as a value. Mm. Now, some people have business wealth, but that does not mean you'll have financial independence from it. The only way you're going to have financial independence is if you convert your business into financial independence by either selling it mm -hmm. or taking a portion of it and investing it in other businesses mm -hmm. or buying real estate or something, some real asset. Yeah. So the way you know you have financial independence as a value is you're showing evidence that you're moving in the direction of having a passive income, not an active income from working. Yeah. Now, some people have, they put all their money back in their business and then they never become financial independence. So either your hierarchy of your values dictates your financial destiny and your hierarchy of values dictates where your assets are stored. And they're all convertible into cash if you package your intellectual property or your body like the girl or your, your spiritual awareness like Sri Sri Ravi Shankar is a billionaire today because of it. There are different people that can convert it into financial but their hike of their values is dictating how they perceive, decide, and act in the path they're taking and the way they manage money. That, yeah, uh, that is a really profound way to think about wealth, actually, because I think we we often think about it in terms of strategies and systems rather than actually in terms of where it sits in our values and how we make well, decisions. The thing is, them. the thing is, is I, I've given strategies and systems to people. Tons of them. Yeah, yeah. I can, I can, I can mm -hmm. help somebody structure their life financially. Mm -hmm. But 
unless I shift their values and raise financial wealth building on the values, they won't apply it. Uh, yeah, no, I totally understand that. Because you're not going to do something that's not congruent with what you value most. Not going to yeah. do it. This is where self-depreciation comes from. Self-depreciation depreciation is a feedback let, letting you know, feedback system letting you know that you're pursuing something that's not really high in your values. And they're fantasies. Oh, very good. So we can we can download or we can access that at drdmartini.com. And it's the Demartini values determination process. Yeah, I hope everybody takes advantage of it because it's such a simple process, 13 yeah. questions. But the question is, do it, do it a week from now, do it a month from now, do yeah. it a quarter from now, and see if you're really honest with yourself. A yeah. lot of people are afraid to be honest with themselves because they want to hold on to their fantasy. See, when we're not living by our highest value, our blood glucose and oxygen goes into a subcortical area of the brain called the amygdala. Mm -hmm. And the amygdala is addicted to pride and fantasies and immediate gratification. That's why you become consumerism's living vicariously through other people's brands mm -hmm. and wipe out all your cash, buying other stuff that you don't need mm -hmm. to please people you don't care about. Mm -hmm. But if you don't have, if you're in the amygdala, you're also proud. And the pride stops you from facing. You don't want to lose the pride. You don't want to lose the fantasy. So you'll lie to yourself about what's really important to you to feel proud. And this is what people have to get through when they're doing the exercise the first time. They want to write down their fantasies instead of what their life demonstrates. And the yeah. questions are all about what their life demonstrates. See, my life demonstrates that I teach. I do it every day. Yeah. I'm teaching in some form every single day, seven days a week. And I'm researching and writing every day. I mean, I'm writing books. I'm writing articles, magazines. I'm, I'm constantly teaching. So I can make up stuff. You know, I could say, I want to be an international sex symbol and take over you have to place. But my life doesn't demonstrate it. There's no evidence of that. Yeah, yeah. But my life does em demonstrate that, that, you know, I'm a researcher and teacher. Yeah. And I write. So that, and I travel around the world. So my, I, I want to go by based on what my life really demonstrates. What's objective, not a fantasy. Yeah. And I, I've been doing value determination for 45 years on people. 45 years. And I guarantee you, 99% of the population don't know their values. Yeah, I would agree with that. Yeah, I would agree with they're, that. They live in, the, they're subordinating to mothers, fathers, preachers, teachers, conventions, traditions, and mores of society, and living as part of the herd, trying to fit in and living by shoulds and ought tos and supposed tos and got tos and have tos and must and need tos of the outer collective consciousness mm. trying to fit in instead of stand out and be themselves mm. and that erodes and clouds the clarity of what's really important to them know thyself well there's wisdom in that mm. Mm. and be thyself and you will love yeah. yourself yeah yeah oh, oh, oh so many questions um okay so the seven secret treasures which is your most recent book so how many books have you now written if you look at just paperback self-help kind of books um, in the next two years, there'll be 50. Wow. But if, uh, if I look at all the manuscripts and text, uh, here's two texts. Okay. I have about 300. So if I put all the text together, there are conference, you know, programs and textbooks and stuff like that around 300. Probably. Yeah. Well, it's a remarkable body of work. So in this book, The Seven Secret Treasures, which I read and I thoroughly enjoyed, and I will actually be going back and, you know, reflecting a little bit more, I think, on that. You say the mind is our treasure, our greatest treasure. Can you please explain why? <clears throat> well, you know, our mind which some people define as brain physiology. Some people see it as a dualism. Some people see it as a monism. But whatever it is, whether it's a dualistic approach or a monistic approach, the mind is what's perceiving your reality, making decisions in your reality, and acting upon your reality. Well, all of human behavior is that. So I would say it's the foundation. And why it's a treasure is because you have the capacity to take control of those three things. You don't have control of anything but three things, perceptions, decisions, actions. 
Now, if you prioritize your actions and live by the highest priority according to what your true values are, you excel. So you always have the capacity to live by priority. If you do, you excel. If you prioritize your perceptions and ask, how is no matter what's happening in my life, how is it helping me fulfill what I value most? Now you realize that everything's on the way, not in the way. There's nothing blocking you in your life. And you build momentum, incremental momentum that is unstoppable. And it's amazing. And if you know the decision on which one you're going to do at that moment, am I going to prioritize my action or am I going to prioritize my perception? Am I going to go and do what I love, delegating the lower priority things, or love what I do by linking what I do to my highest priority things? Mm. These are basic two principles that are as absolutely essential for mastery. And we have that capacity, and that's a treasure. And that's what the book is about, is how to do that in each of the areas of life that you want to master. I, I set out to want to master my life when I was 18. Mm. And I said, okay, what does that mean? And I broke life into seven areas. Our mental quest, our business quest, our financial quest, our family, social relationship quest, our social quest, our physical health and well-being quest, and our inspiration quest. Okay. So I said, okay, what do I want in those areas? I started mapping out how I wanted my life to look. I want to create original ideas and serve human beings across the planet. And I want to teach in every country on the planet. I've done 181 countries now speaking. Amazing. I said, I want to have a global business. 2016, we have students in every country around the world today. We have a global business. I want to be financial independence. Well, age 37, almost 36, seven, I reached financial independence. I'm now multiple financial independence. Set out that goal, accomplished it. I want to have a global family dynamic. I just got off the phone with my girlfriend who's in Turkey. I live around the world. And I live on a ship called the world. The world around. ship. I know. I had to Google it. It's fantastic. Yeah, I live there. I've been living there 21 years. I've been yeah. traveling the world on the ship. Socially, movers and shakers. I All the people that have ever done anything amazing on the planet, from politics to celebrities to sports to education to you, anybody who's the A-list in the top areas, I like hanging out and meeting and interacting. And there's about 4,000 of those people I've gotten to meet. Yeah. Physically, I'm doing pretty good. I'm 68. I can still do seven days a week, 18 hours days. No problem. And no, I still can do 1,000 butt lifts and, and uh, 240 push-ups now. And I, 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 there's nothing stopping the, the vitality. And spiritually, I'm grateful for life. I'm loving what I'm doing. I'm inspired by my vision. I'm thankful I'm grateful. I'm I'm in I'm certain about what I'm doing. I'm present and I'm doing it and I'm enthusiastically working. I wanted to master all of them and exemplify that was possible. I'm absolutely certain there's nothing stopping any human being from creating the life that they would love to do. It's not rocket science. It's very simple. It's prioritizing your life and doing something that's meaningful and remunerative in a sustainable fair exchange with other people where you can afford to delegate everything else and get on with what's your mission. Yeah, that's totally possible for everybody, no matter what it is. I 100% concur with you. So it was interesting. You said the age 37, you achieved this financial freedom at the age of 37 was actually when my life hit absolute rock bottom. And I decided that, you know, I wanted to achieve, I wanted to know my fullest potential. And I started asking that question, like, who can I become in this lifetime? Like, what is possible for me in this lifetime? And over the course of the last, it's actually been 10 years. um, And I just realized the other weekend, it's been this 10 year kind of odyssey that I've been on of, of just deeply exploring that. And I've just finished my second book, which is actually called It Is Possible, Letting Go of Who You Think You Are to Create the Life of Your Dreams. Because, you know, what you teach and it's it's not, it, it's just how it is. Like, it's not like I just came up with this idea. Like there's methodologies and frameworks and, and everything that sits around it. But it's like, if you can apply these principles and master these principles to your life, yeah. you can create there's nothing we literally nothing we can't create and your life is living proof of that my life is living proof of that like i i, I used to live in a tent yeah i lived on the streets when i was a teenager yeah it doesn't matter where you start Agreed. it's a matter of, are you now doing the things that are proven to work that's correct all, that's all and, that matters and 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 i like what you say because you know i'm i'm still really learning about the application of this because you know knowledge and awareness having that knowledge and awareness is one thing so without understanding in action yeah i don't think until we die we we don't end up 
learning. But, you know, like I'm now really working on things like focus and prioritization and delegation and and that real sense of um, the value that I provide and feeling comfortable um, to receive in exchange for that value, you know, like so that because we've all got our own different challenges that we kind of need to overcome. But I'm really curious, what's what's the process that you um, take people through to kind of uncover their creative genius, like to really tap into um, what what that is for them? Well, when I was 17 years old, I had learning difficulties mm-hmm. and I met a guy named Paul Bragg. He's, Paul he, Bragg. he's the... Um, the Bragg's amino acids. Yes, a drink. Yep. Yes. So he told me, when I told him I didn't know how to read, because I, I didn't read till I was 18. I had learning and speech problems. And he said, every day, say to yourself this one statement, and don't miss a day for the rest of your life. He said, if you say it every single day for the rest of your life, sooner or later, the cells of your body will tingle with it, so will the world. I said, well, what's that, sir? He said, say, I'm a genius. I apply my wisdom. So I have not missed a day in 50 years. Two weeks will be 50 years since that happened, or two and a half weeks. And um, I've said it every single day. Now, so I've been fascinated by what a genius is. When I first flew back to L.A. from Hawaii, hitchhiked back to Texas, and saw my mom, I asked her, what exactly is a genius, mom? I didn't know what it was. She says, well, like people like Albert Einstein and Da Vinci. I said, then I want to know everything about those two men. I read Vasari when I learned to read. I got to read Vasari and all the books by Albert Einstein, which wasn't easy. Not easy at all. I learned that a genius is one who listens to their inner voice and follows the inner vision of their soul and obeys and lets the voice and the vision on the inside become louder than all opinions on the outside. And they're being unique and standing out, not fitting into the crowd. Now, the only way that that occurs is by living by your highest value. Because the moment, because the the highest value, as Hartman says, is the non-derivative value that's most intrinsic, and it is the spontaneous potential part of the individual. It's what's highest in priority. When anytime you're doing, if you're doing the highest priority thing, that's the most any human being can do at any time. So I realize that whenever you're pursuing the action steps that fulfill what's highest on your value, you're willing to embrace both pleasure and pain, uh, ease and difficulty, support and challenge equally in the pursuit of it. And when you're pursuing challenges that inspire you, you wake up creativity, innovation, genius. And so taking on a challenge that inspires you, Elon Musk, I want to go to Mars. Taking on a challenge inspires, wakes up genius. Makes you find out you're capable of doing things you didn't know you were capable mm-hmm. of doing. Then everybody else is going, wow, is that possible? But taking on a challenge that inspires you and filling your day with action steps that inspire you to solve problems that serve people is how genius is born. Yeah. Solving problems that serve vast numbers of people that inspire you to want to solve. Because if you don't fill your day with challenges that inspire you, it fills up with challenges that don't. Mm. If you don't fill your day with challenges that inspire you, you get used stress, wellness. If you don't, you get distress, illness. And illness is a feedback to let you know you're not authentic and you're not pursuing what's meaningful. Mm. What is the principle of reflection and why is it so important? So many years ago, I... I was catching myself, pointing my finger at other people and realizing I was talking about myself. To yourself. You are the hero. <clears throat> yeah, I think it was uh, Romans 2.1 in an old New Testament that said, you know, whatever you judge in others, beware. It's what, it's what you're judging in yourself. It's you. 100%. And so I realized that I was talking to other people and I was reflecting after I reacted, hindsight, not foresight, And I was pointing my finger at them and I was realizing I'm really talking about myself. Mm. And I realized that I was only resentful to things in others that represented a part of myself that I felt ashamed of. Mm. And I only admired things in others that are parts of myself I was admiring in myself. And so I realized that and I kind of woke up to that. 
And then I started, I go, well, why wait to have to react to people and have hindsight? Why not just go and do a preemptive strike and go into the Oxford Dictionary, the biggest dictionary I could find, and go and underline every possible human behavioral trait that somebody could push your button with. And I went and underlined every one of them, 4,628 traits I found. Gordon Alport found 4,000 in the same book. He tried to do something similar. I found 4,628, wrote them all down. Then I asked, okay, who do I know represents that trait more than anybody? And I put a name next to it, initial. And then I started asking, okay, now, John, go to a moment where and when I perceive myself displaying or demonstrating that behavior, that trait, um, and who was I doing it to and who perceived me that way? And where was it? When was it? Who did I do it to and who perceived me? Where was it? When was it? Who did I do it to and who perceived me? Where did I do it? When did I do it? Who did I do it to and who perceived me doing it? And I started going through there and I didn't stop until I found where I did it quantitatively mm. and qualitatively equal to whatever I saw them do, the most extreme example. And when I got through, I realized I had every trait known. I was nice, mean, kind, cruel, stingy, generous, open, closed, honest, dishonest, considered, inconsiderate. I mean, I had every trait I found in myself. And then I realized if I admire the trait, what are the downsides? Calm it down. If I'm resenting a trait, what are the upsides? Calm it up. Because I realized if the trait's there, it must serve a purpose or it would have gone extinct. It didn't serve somehow. It would go extinct. So how does it serve? And I leveled the playing field and all the traits. And I found out I had them all. And I realized that nothing's missing in me. And I realized that whatever I see in other people, I'm either too proud or too humble to admit that I have when I judge them. But when I go and own them, I end up loving them. Because yeah. they remind me, they're giving me an opportunity to discover what I'm not loving in myself and love it. Yeah. So thank you. So I realized that reflective awareness, which is the key to real intimacy, is the realization that whatever you see in others, you have inside you, and you're not too proud or too humble to admit you have it. Because mm -hmm. as long as you do, you don't know yourself. You're disowning parts. You're disempowering yourself. You're giving power to other people to run your life. And whatever you infatuate and resent in them is going to occupy space and time and mind in you and stop you from being present in the experience of loving somebody else. Mm -hmm. It's so, it's so powerful. And I think what I really like about that is because often we will look at what we dislike in other people, but we're not able, and we can sort of um, blame them or have an issue with them, but we're not always so good at looking at the great qualities in other people either, because we don't like looking at the great qualities in ourselves either. You know, it's really that, just that, in, that reflection, I guess, we're on the human humble. condition. We're too humble or too yeah, proud to admit yeah. what we see in others inside us. And, take and the pride, when we're proud, we're not being authentic. Yeah. When we're ashamed, we're not being authentic. We're inflating and deflating our own personas yeah. instead of being ourselves. And how, you know, it's interesting. People say, I just want to be loved for who I am. You're not even being who you are. Yeah, who are you? You don't even know. Yeah. You're, you're exaggerating and minimizing yourself instead of being yourself. Aristotle did a great little thing when he talked about true virtue yeah. and the vices. And he said, vices are excess and deficiencies of expressions of your own individuality. Mm. And the true virtue is being yourself. The, yeah. the mean, the golden mean between the two. That was the true virtue. It's the same truth today. When we exaggerate ourselves, it's an excess. When we diminish ourselves, it's a deficiency. And we're not being authentic. When we're authentic, we have equanimity within ourselves mm. and equity between ourselves and others. And that's where we have the most sustainable fair exchange. Yeah. Because when we're proud, we try to get something for nothing. I'm better than you. You owe me. You need to live in my values. You should be doing like this. When you're shamed, I should be doing like you and minimizing yourself. One sacrifices profits. The other one doesn't get business. They both, one humbles you, one lifts you up to try to get you authentic. And then when you're authentic, you have now sustainable fair exchange and relationships, business, social interactions, everything else now works. And I loved what you said before about loving people because, you know, really we're here to teach each other. We're here to help each other and to 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 love our, literally love our neighbor, you know, as we love yeah, ourselves. As thyself. That's a great proverb that uh, still still stands today. The, the, the essence of the truth is the same. And it's, yeah. and it's, I always define the truth as the synthesis and synchronicity of all complementary opposites. Yeah. 
that no matter what you perceive, its opposite is always there. Yeah. I learned a long time ago in my, my methodologies that you cannot perceive something without a contrast. That's an interesting. I wrote a book when I was 23 called The Illusional Basis, Men's Health and Disease, and how our perceptual illusions affect our illness. And I realized that there is no perception without a contrast. So if you're perceiving something that you're enamored with, you're actually resentful to its opposite at the same moment. And if you're infatuated with somebody, there's somebody there to play out the other role that you're comparing them to in order to honor them, to infatuate with them. So if you're aware of both, see, if you're infatuated, you're conscious of the upsides, unconscious of the downsides. If you're resentful, you're conscious of the downsides, unconscious of the upsides. When you love somebody, you're fully conscious, you're mindful. And when you do, you see both sides simultaneously. And you have a synthesis and synchronicity of complementary opposites. Now we get to the truth. Now we get the, 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 the virtue, the true virtue, as he described. Okay, so we've mentioned a little bit about your reading, and I, you know, I know you have read a huge amount of books, and you, you're a massive advocate for that in terms of ongoing lifelong learning as reading as as a mechanism to be able to do that. But how do you choose what which book, author, genre you're going to read? You wake up today and you think this is what I'm going to read, or do you get recommendations, or is it something that you're just naturally being drawn to at that moment in time? Well, that's <clears throat> that's a great question. I um, I started out just learning how to read. Mm-hmm. And I started out, I read, uh, when I finally learned how to read, I started with a dictionary. Because I couldn't pronounce words. I couldn't spell words. I didn't understand words. I had dyslexia and things. And so within a two-year period, I read in a, in a dictionary 20,000 words. I memorized. Mm-hmm. I did 30 words a day. So that was the first thing I read. And by mastering vocabulary and combining vocabulary, that accelerates reading. Mm. That's not an unwise thing to do is to learn words. Because the average person has 300 words in in lower socioeconomics. Mm. The more advanced person may have 20,000 words. So that was the first thing. Then I started reading encyclopedias. And I read eight complete multi-volume series because I wanted to be able to have a, more of a polymathic perspective on life. And that because there's a lot of research that goes into them and you're getting a highly condensed summary of some of the work that's out there. Not like a Google search. Well, today, Google search is fantastic. I'm, I'm the, the, on the ship. The guy that's helped design that lives on the ship. So I know the guy. Wow. He's, he's, a, he's, he's, a, he's done well. Very bright guy. I think he's an encyclopedia himself. Yeah. But um, then I realized that if I'm just reading, I don't want to just randomly read. You only have so much time in a year and a day to, you know, to read. So I, I started prioritizing. What I did is I decided that I wanted to create original ideas on the planet. So that made me go to the most original thinkers. So I went to the founders of every knownology. So if I want to study magnetism, I went to Gilbert. If I want to study, uh, you know, certain fields I go to, like evolution, I would go to Darwin, I'd go to Linnaeus, I go to, you know, Aristotle, and I go to these people. I went to the people who are the founders of the discipline and the very mother or mother of those disciplines. So if I wanted to study, you know, nuclear physics, I'd go to Madame Curie, you know, I'd, I'd go to the people that are involved in these, these studies. And that way I'm getting to study the people that are original thinkers. Mm-hmm. So I can stand on their shoulders. And as I'm reading them, I also look at whatever trait I see that I admire about them. I look inside myself, where do I display that? So I'm not putting them on a pedestal. I'm just leveling the playing field and realizing I have the same capacity. I already have it. It's not missing. And how do I create original things that are original that make a difference like they did? But I then stand on the shoulders of those people. And then I selected also all the Nobel Prize winners and all the Fermi Medal winners and you know all of the medals of the John Templeton's uh, prize winners and the, the, the Fields Medal in mathematics. I, I went to all the people who are the brightest in their field and tried to go and study the lives and the writings and the teachings of the brightest human beings on planet. I came across a guy named <laughs> uh, William James Sidus or Sidus, uh, who is a savant that had a, the highest IQ for many, many decades. He was the highest IQ in the world. Now there's a woman that's outbeat him, but he was the highest IQ. And he wrote a book called Animate and Inanimate. What is life and what is not life in the world? 
and I try to go and stand on the brightest individuals in history because I, I creative ideas birth creative ideas. Mm. You mentioned in the book about, um, I've got so many questions here and we're not going to be able to cover them all. So I'm just going to go to this question now um, that you mentioned in the book about the, the purpose of um, social treasures and sort of just following on from that conversation, um, I, I just wanted to share with you something about that idea of um, visualising and, um, uh, you know, the, the people that we connect with uh, and spend time with, it's very important that we're doing that in the right um, space. And you had a quote in your book. Years ago, I made a list of people I would love to meet in my life, great celebrities, great leaders, great people that have left or are leaving a mark on history. I wrote them down because I'm a firm believer that what you write down, look at, think about, visualise and affirm, you manifest. So I just think it's really interesting that, you know, what's going on in your life now in terms of the relations of the connections and the social connections that you have and the reading that you did and that, you know, that even through your reading, you were choosing to connect with that level of thinking and that that sort of thing I just actually wanted to share with you a little personal anecdote of mine because I it, it was it really as you, as I was reading through your book I'm like yes this stuff it's so true because it works you know about creating visualizing but what I wanted to share was years ago when I was um really in a very difficult time in my life and I discovered EFT with Brad Yates and so I used to I don't know if you know Brad Yates but anyway I used to he's on YouTube used to tap along to him and I used to imagine imagine if one day I met him and then I've actually met Brad and his, you know, came on this, he's come on this podcast, he's come on my previous podcast, his, I've write, you know, talked about him in the book and stuff. But when I was going through this really clear process of visualization of, okay, this is where I am in my life now, the contrast, and I'm literally on the ground, can't really go much lower. I'm like, what's the opposite of this? Like, how high is it possible for a person to go? Like, what would that look like, you know? And I'm completely don't know anybody. I've just started a business, no idea how to do that. I'm like, I'm just going to learn this, wing this as I go. But I had very, very compelling internal, intrinsically driven vision for my life and a real sense of that purpose. Anyway, I said, right, okay, Richard Branson is going to fly me to Necker Island on his private jet, right? Like just way out there, completely deluded. I'm like, you know, but that's, that's, that, that's the levels that I'm going to be operating at in my life and business. And it was so interesting when um, your team reached out to me and then we kind of, you know, toed and froed and stuff. And then I realised, oh, Dr. John Martini, he knows Sir Richard Branson. I'm like, I'm like, I really, it was a real kind of pinch me moment. And I was like, I'm actually now starting to connect with these people. Like, because I had this idea to start a podcast and I started a podcast and do you know what I mean? So it's like what you teach and the practical application of it, you think it's so out there, wacko. Well, no, you don't. It it can be perceived as being so wacko out there, deluded. You can't actually explain what you're trying to achieve to other people because it doesn't make necessarily sense to them, but equally it doesn't have to. Well, I did make a list the first list was 50 people. Yeah. I was surprised at how fast that showed up. Yeah. I was um, at Hanoi Kanoi restaurant in New York on 56 near 5th and Madison. No, 5th, 5th and uh, 6th Street, Avenue of the Americas. And that's a little restaurant there. And my wife, Athena, who is from Melbourne. Yes. Athena Star Wars. Yes, we know, we know Athena very well here in Melbourne, yes. yes. Amazing lady, true. Uh, we were having lunch there. We had lunch there quite often. And we sat down at the booth because we like sushi. And Julie Roberts is right next to me. Yeah. And she was on the list. And so I went left-handed. She was right-handed. We kept hitting elbows. We started a conversation. I had a great conversation. Athena joined in and we had a great conversation with her. She was a little preoccupied with the telephone occasionally, but great conversation. So I got to meet her. Then she ended up being in Houston and married to La Lovett, which was another Houstonian. And I was based from Houston and I ran into her again. So I kept running into her and I had her on the list and I checked her off on the list. It happened. Another person was Sylvester Stallone. Yeah. Okay. So I wanted to meet Sylvester Stallone. Turns out I was on Sunset Boulevard with my wife 
and we were stopping because she wanted to get something to drink in this little corner cafe little thing in the morning. And I'm just standing literally on the corner, just taking it all in. We're on Sunset Boulevard, right near Beverly Hills area, right, right around the corner from Beverly Hills uh, Hotel. And all of a sudden, Sister Stallone comes up in a convertible, black uh, Mercedes convertible, comes up and stops four cars from the light where I was, stands up. And I reached over and we shook hands. And we had a nice brief conversation. And he was very cool, no problem. That's how I met Sylvester Stallone. I was at the right place at the right time. One of my internal dialogues was I'm at the, always at the right place at the right time to meet the right people to make the right deal. Yeah. Then I was going to the Republican National Convention, not because I was playing Republican or Democrat. I just happened to be invited to go to this convention. We parked. As we parked, the car came in next. It was Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> it was Driver. <laughs> Shiver. And so we were literally parked. We walked in and sat next. We had the same seats next to each other. So I got to do it. Now I, I met him many times at, at the Fairmont Hotel in the morning. He comes every Friday morning almost, rides his bicycle over there after his workout. What what is fascinating for me about this is you actually can't make this stuff up. Like you actually couldn't make it up and you no. can't force it. You can't contrive it. You've just got to be open and present to all I did, the opportunity. All I did is read it. Yes. And kept doing what I love doing and kept making outreach and impact in the world until you're resonating in the same field of opportunity. Yeah. Today, that list is over 4,000 achieved. 4,000 people that have done amazing things. Today, I just got a contact. I could, I could show it to you, but I'd have to bring it up and show yeah, you. Yeah, that's thing. okay. So I got one of the leading producers, uh, movie producers, documentary producers, script writers um, that just sent... I love your stuff on the, on the, on YouTube. It says, we're going to have to meet. I want to chat with you. When are you out in LA? Okay. So this is a guy that's got amazing impact on the music, music screen. And, and I mean, on the movie screens and just contact me today because I'm a YouTube. Yeah. So and I just got off the line with a, a famous actress in um, Turkey. So I, I, it, it's, I'm always at the right place at the right time to meet the right people to make the right deal to do that. Because I made a goal to hang out and associate with people who have global influence that gave themselves permission to play on that field. Seneca, the Roman poet, said, uh, you measure an individual by their most distant ends. And the magnitude of space and time and their innermost dominant thought will determine the level of conscious evolution that they play in. And I've always had an astronomical vision to have a terrestrial experience instead of a terrestrial vision looking out at the astronomy. I've always looked outside, looking back at the earth and go, what do I want to do on planet earth today? Yeah. And that, that, that sense of real perspective on that. Yeah. And Rupert, I had dinner with Rupert Murdoch one night and I asked him, how did he build his empire? And uh, he said, I hold a globe in my hand from my desk. There's a globe there. I hold the hand I spin it around. I said, what message do I want to bring to what part of the world today? Mm. Great mindset. I look from out here, looking at the world instead of from the world out. Most people are in the terrestrial sphere looking outward instead of the celestial sphere looking inward. And that perspective changes the game. Yeah, 100%. And, you know, what we believe is we what we believe is the reality. So what we, you know, and, and as we practice that, that thinking and that belief system and we believe it for ourselves, that naturally is reflected in the world around us anyway. But One of the statements I have, it's impossible for me not to fulfill my des- my, yeah. my mission. It's, it's my destiny. It's, it's yeah. not an option. It's yeah. already done. It's already so. I will spend hour, two hours on one paragraph of exactly how I want my life to be, mm. working and refining and wording it, refining and editing it like as if it's a masterpiece. Yeah. I want and and I have thirty three volumes of those things. Of mm. How I want my life. Very very meticulous and edit it and polish it, look at it, read it and do it. And then I keep metrics on my achievements. Yeah. And I've already typed your, you're, you're already in the type metric today. Well, there you go. I've made, a, I've made a list, Dr. You're, John you're, D. Martini. You're, you're on the show list. <laughs> I keep every radio, television, newspaper, magazine, movie, book. Yeah. got a new book coming out. Uh, another book. There's a resilient mind coming out too. A podcast. I keep record of metrics of everything I set out to accomplish. Yeah to see if I'm actually doing what I'm saying. Because yeah. if I'm not doing what I'm saying, there's no exemplification and I'm holding myself and others back. 
I think that idea of tracking is so important. That's something I've really discovered along the way as well, because it, it's it's very easy to trick ourselves or to convince ourselves of something different, but the, the data doesn't lie. And if we can start to make decisions based on data, then we actually start to live a less emotionally um, controlled life in a way. It's just like it's either happened or it hasn't. Like, and if I haven't done it, what am I going to do to do it? And if I have done it, that's fantastic. What would I do differently next time? Or, you know, where can I improve on that? And that's it. It's very simple. That's it. That works. Um, So, you know, you obviously massive around visualization and intention and, you know, getting clear on our goals. But this, this idea of, um, the powerful, you know, secret and powerful treasure of wellness, vitality, beauty, and fitness, you know, as as one of the um, secret treasures. What is the link for you and why do we need a a purpose, mission, and goals to sort of live with that vital energy? Well, if you don't have a vital energy, an enthusiastic energy, a lot of opportunities pass you by. Mm. You, You draw and magnetize people. I learned a long time ago, gosh, 40 years ago at least, that whenever I'm in a higher vibrational state, I get different clients. Yeah. I'm in a lower vibration, I get a different set of clients. It wasn't hard to see. It was like, there was a guy that used to come in our our clinic. And when we had stinking thinking, ingratitude, attitude, hold on, dull drums, pity parties, trauma dramas, you know, the stars were scars kind of mentality, uh, this guy would show up. And when I had my, my, I called it digital craniorectalitis syndrome. I had my thumb in my mouth and uh, and, and my Rocky head up my ass. Right? <laughs> yeah. Okay. This guy would show up and we go, we must be having a really crazy day if this guy shows up because it was just, a, it was a resonation. And the second we were on fire, man, things, a different group came in. It was like mm. very obvious that there was a resonation there. So I realized that that's a vital energy is important, but I, I found out that the vitality in life is directly proportioned to the vividness of the vision. And the vision is awakened when you're living by priority. Mm-hmm. So if you're, if you do, anytime you're living by your highest priority, the blood glucose and oxygen goes into the forebrain, the medial prefrontal cortex activates a, a fiber that goes out into the V5, V6 area, the occipital cortex, and gives you associative vision to be able to solve problems with, to see solutions those are the vision flourish. Those without a vision perish is the old proverb. So the second we live by priority, our visual centers are activated. We see in our mind's eye solutions and a picture's worth a thousand words. So I'm a firm believer in seeing it so clearly in your mind's eye that it's done. And that really makes a difference. I used to sit and visualize in my practice before the day, I would go in and visualize all the patients coming in. What are their birthdays? I just, you know, I memorized all this stuff and I would just see it. And we had a great practice because of that. So I'm a firm believer in in activating what's priority in order to pull these things into action. I think vitality automatically, I guarantee vitality will attract opportunities to you. A hundred percent. I a hundred percent agree with that. And I think what's, what's fascinating for me is how people really struggle with these both most basic and fundamental of daily practices, like drinking enough water, getting exercise, meditating, practicing gratitude, all the rest of that. But I think for me, what's really clearly come out of this conversation, because I, I I do a lot of coaching around that, I've got programs around that, you know, I really help people because it's like the first thing you need to get sorted is your daily routine. We, we can't really do anything else until you're clear on that. But I think there needs to be that that bigger essence first of what do you actually want. So for me, one of my daily goals is I'm the fittest, healthiest and happiest I've ever been. Like that's my daily goal. I strive towards that. And, you know, that, that process of visualization, I just ran a half marathon earlier uh, in September and I didn't all the way through, I was training, I was going, you know, my, my super big, hairy, audacious goal with this is to do it in under two hours. But as I was doing my training and I really, I didn't, you know, other life priorities, I actually realized I reckon I could run this in two hours and 15 minutes, right? So that was, I just, the week before I said, well, I think that's, that is a realistic possibility for me. Anyway, so on the day I ran, I didn't have any headphones in. I wasn't listening to music. I wasn't pacing myself. I thought I'm just going to run my best. I'm going to really listen to my body and run what feels right for me. In the end, I ran it in two hours, 15 minutes and 44 seconds. It was mind blowing. I was just like, that's, well, I just knew I could do it. And that was. That's like 12 miles an hour. That's pretty fast. Yeah, I know. 
I know. But, you know, I'd prepared myself. I'd visualized. I corrected all of the, you know, things, my nutrition, my fatigue, everything. I learned a huge amount about myself in the process. Really had to practice that idea of oscillation, learn how to relax and let go and all of that stuff. But having that vision, that bigger vision for my life meant that I was able to sacrifice other things to go for a run, or I was able to just go, well, I don't, it's not negotiable. I'm going to go for a run today. Cause if I don't go for a run, I'm not going to achieve my goal. So the idea of that goal of the running the half marathon actually aligned with my bigger vision. So there, there was no, there was no disconnect there for me at all. That's why there, there was congruency. Yeah. I like to think of it this way as a metaphor. If um, you're driving down the highway, the steering wheel and you're looking at one white line and driving to the next white line you're going to be all over the road mm. but if you look at the mountain 10 miles in the few in the ahead and just hold yourself there steady drive true north so have a true north because if you do the volatilities in life are less and you're more effective and efficient in achieving so i'm a firm believer of a purpose i mean i and i do gratitudes mm. i'm gonna i'm gonna See if I can do something here. I'm going to pull up something. And then I'm going to go and do, I think I can do it. Can I share a screen? Yeah, you can. Let me just give can you a question to do Yeah. So I do a gratitude. Uh, I call it the have the opportunity every day. Yeah. And, and I, I document what I do every day. So let's see if I can pull it up now. Yeah, I can do it. Okay. So. Let's see what we got here. You recognize anybody here? Oh, yeah. Excellent. Made a list. Yeah. Had the opportunity to be interviewed by yourself. And I, I mean, I just keep records of everything I get to do. Here's yep. the guy that I worked with this today, the, the guy that's the yep. movie producer. I go through and I document. Here's a guy in China that just said your your book is in China now. Yeah. We've got a, my goal. I wrote when I was 23, 50 languages. I'm in mean, 40 languages now with all my books. Amazing. So I keep record. Here's a, here's a neural summit that I got to do the other day with leaders. So I keep record of everything I'm grateful for, the opportunities, everything, every single day. Here's, I was speaking in Munich the other day at a big conference. Yep. Pulse gathering. There's, there's the conference. Yep. Yeah, that's a good vision, huh? Amazing. So I keep record of everything. Here's a, a an opportunity to be to be an honored as the one hundred doc, the top one hundred doctors in the world. I mean, just amazing stuff that comes in. I met a band, a rock band, the other day that I got to hang out with. So I keep records of all the places I go, all the things I get to do, all the gratitudes every single day. And it's just it's just amazing watching this unfold mm. I, my, I, I mean it's just amazing so I document everything there's the new book that came out yep these are cities that I've just sailed through I think what I think this is so fascinating for me is because like so I, you know I'm I visualize I affirm but I think one of the places I fall over a little bit is it's almost like you know that humble brag Thing. it's like I'm I I feel a little bit awkward about um like I feel like a bit like I'm showing off about things that have happened and you know opportunities that have come in or things that I've done which are really if you're, if you're exaggerating it and you're feeling cocky you'll be humbled but if you're just stating it and it's a fact it's just sharing what you did yeah and I'm a firm believer in in giving yourself permission to acknowledge what you set out to do and did yeah it's well, it's it's very inspiring for other people to see people shining their light like that and, and, and being so comfortable in their own skin, accepting who they are. Yeah. Because, you know, if you make people guess, if you make the world guess about what you want out of your service to the world, mm. it's going to be harder for them to provide what you want. <laughs> what you want. Well, do you know, okay. I'm I just in my mind before I'm like, oh, I just need to share this with you. So one of the things, cause I do um, my wealth intention every day. I write out my major definite purpose every day. I have affirmations. I do every day. You know, I always, you know, thank you for the amazing and incredible opportunities coming my way today. Thank you for the amazing and incredible opportunities I create today. And then these opportunities come, or I have these wonderful ideas about things and I go and do them. 
you know, and it's, but I, I love that piece that you're doing around that real book ending of it, of just absolutely going as hard out as you can, acknowledging absolutely every single thing, because, you know, where we, where do, where do we focus on expands. But one of the things I've put out there is that um, this, my second book, I'm like someone with a really influential, um, somebody I'm really inspired by, massive profile is going to discover this book and share it with their audience. So I'm like, oh, I don't know where that's going to come from. But it's like, if I don't speak about it, if I just keep it in my little head and don't share it with people, then it, nothing can ever manifest, right? Yeah, in I'm a, a way. And defining it, uh, you know, I, I wrote down that I wanted to contribute enough in the world to be written about in a thousand books. Yeah. I wrote that at age 21. Yeah. We broke the 700 number book this week. So we're 700 books that have been referenced to the work that I'm doing. Well, that's... So I keep writing that. And those are the only ones I know of. So I, yeah. I have no problem writing out what I want to do because that 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 measures and means that I'm making some sort of contribution. A hundred percent. And and then if I if I know it's in multiple languages, that means I know it's making a contribution. So I, I record, you know, podcast, how many people are on the pod? I try to do it so we can reach at least 200 to 300 million people a year. Yeah. That's goal and documented. I've got it documented on how many people we're touching. So I, I'm a firm believer in stating it, defining it, putting a strategy in place, taking actions on it, documenting what you're doing, refining it, getting the goal. Yeah. It's not rocket science, really. It it's really quite simple. It is really, really, really quite simple. Uh, if it's uh, something really important to you, you'll do it. Yeah. If it's not, you'll just talk about it. And yeah, yeah. Talk to you. yeah, yeah. And then all that time you've spent talking about it and thinking about it when you could have actually just been doing it, why didn't you just do it? Yeah, so I... I'm a firm believer that, you know, I, I, I had a dream to be a great teacher on the planet mm -hmm. and to, uh, you know, just like a person, I want to be one of the greatest uh, mountain climbers, or I want to be the greatest uh, pole vaulters or the greatest swimmers or whatever. I mean, you know, I don't think that, uh, you know, Thorpe and those are, are having any difficulty saying, Hey, I want to be one of the greatest swimmers in the world. Hey, well, let me let, let me let me tell you this, Dr. John D. Martini. You're speaking to Australia's most successful female entrepreneur. Like that's that is an right. identity I crafted for myself years yes. ago. So yes. when I'm struggling, I just go, well, what would Australia's most successful female entrepreneur do at this point in time? This is what they do. That's the action they take. So I can kind of step into that identity. Yeah. Because who defines that anyway? Well, you do you know, know what I mean. I, like I get to choose that. Exactly. I am. Um... You, you, you got to give yourself permission to shine, not shrink. You know, when you're doing something you really love to do, you're, you're, and it's something high in your values, you're going to end up being an expert in it over time. Yeah. You're going to keep doing it. You're going to build momentum. You're going to, you know, become unstoppable in doing it. If it's important, if it's not really important, you'll wishy-washy, start, stop, start, stop, go on this, try that, do that. You, you don't know yourself. Mm. Know thyself. Your, your identity revolves around what you value most. Mm. get clear about what that is that's why it's on the website to help people out to try to get them to to start their life where they can have a competitive advantage like your greatest comparative and competitive advantage is sitting congruently living authentically according to your core competence and pursuit of what you value most mm. and then i think when you're clear on that you get out of your own way naturally well you don't get distracted yeah and and because you, you see things on the way and you prioritize and you see things on the way so there's nothing in the way yeah. And if there is a challenge, you just move through it. One of the things I sort of teach is that happiness is to be found in the overcoming of obstacles and challenges in our lives, not in the absence of them. Like we don't want to fear. Yeah. People trying to avoid it. You yeah. know, if you're not pursuing challenges that inspire you, you're going to keep getting challenges you don't want. Yeah. Fill your day with challenges that inspire you. Wake up your genius and contribute to the planet. Make a contribution and do it in a sustainable, fair exchange manner, effectively and efficiently and watch what happens. Amazing. Dr. John D. Martini, I have so thoroughly enjoyed this. And I hope that um, when you do come to Australia next time, we might be able to connect in person. Great. Um, but yeah, thank you again so much for, for giving up your time today to come on the show. And I know that it's all obviously in alignment with your highest values. Otherwise, you wouldn't have yeah. come on the show. And for I mean, me, you're helping me. You're helping me. I know, right? Because this was for me. It was like, oh, you know, like I've been going with this podcast for three years and I've had some wonderful experiences and guests and stuff on the show. And the, the day that um, we got, you know, the, your request to come in, I'd had this really challenging day. Like stuff was just kind of just a really kind of a bit 
like I'm like what is going on and then it was just like no no I'm on the right track it's okay don't worry we were on the right track there's you know that like that level of synchronicity came in it was like the universe just saying no no you keep focused on what you need to be focusing you're obviously not meant to be focusing on down here keep focusing on your vision and your mission and you're gonna get there so the um best place Please correct me here if I'm wrong. For people to get in touch with you is through your website, drdmartini.com. Is that correct? drdmartini.com. D-R-D-Martini, D-E-M-A-R-T-I-N-I.com. And they can, there's a just a vast amount of knowledge and information on there. They can spend the rest of their life. They'd have to be a Buddhist believing in reincarnation just to be able to read it all. Yeah. There's that material in there. But the value determination process, my own podcast show, YouTube videos. There's lots of stuff on there. Keep people busy. Fantastic. Fantastic. Well, thank you again for your time. I'm incredibly grateful and you shall be going on my um, list of things to be grateful for today. Well, I got you on mine already, as I showed you. Yeah. And uh, I'm already, I mean, I'm still going. I got things to do tonight. I'm going to go get a good bite to eat tonight. And I still got things going on afterwards. Fantastic. Well, you enjoy the rest of your day. It's been an absolute pleasure. And um, I, I look forward to connecting with you in person one day. I look forward to it. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Thank you so much for joining me for today's episode. If you enjoyed the show, make sure you subscribe through your favorite podcatcher so you don't miss a future episode. And please feel free to leave a rating or a review. 